Because even though we may feel like a brood of vipers, even though we may be struggling with our past or some things that are happening in our lives, we know that when God's Spirit, when we open ourselves for God's Spirit to thresh those things and show us God's truth, bring us to repentance so the chaff can be nailed to the cross, it's a challenging pathway often, but it comes to good news. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is titled, Searching for Hope, and was based off of Luke 3, 1 through 18. Please know that the audio starts off weird, but then fixes itself. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the new year. What will 2022 bring into our lives and into our fractured world? The truth is, we really don't know. I remember entering into last year, 2021, thinking, it can't get any worse. It's only going to get better. So I'm a little more careful with my uh, prognostications coming into this year. But think about the fact that we really don't know what's going to happen this year. And no one starts a year thinking, I'm going to ruin my life this year. No one starts a year thinking, I think this is the year I'm going to hurt the people I love. No one starts off a year thinking, you know, I think pretty soon an addiction is going to damage my life. None of us think, "Ah, I just know this is the year I'm going to lose my faith. None of us think that, do we? And yet people we love, people we care about deeply, and some of us have exactly experienced those things and other things in our lives. So what will this year bring? We really don't know, especially as we come to the two-year mark uh, in just a couple of months of COVID. We're grieving the death this week, two more deaths of family members among our church family. A lot of people are in financial anxiety. We really don't know what's going to happen with the economy in this next year. We're in the midst of political polarization. I realized, oh, 2022 is midterms. Oh, no, here we go. And then there's so many people who are struggling with mental health challenges. We don't know what 2022 is going to bring. So like we always do at First Baptist, let's spend early January. Let's invest preparing for whatever comes in this next year and for the rest of our lives. And to help us with that, we're going to explore two episodes from the ministry of John the Baptist. As John was preparing his generation for the Messiah. He was praying his generation to follow Jesus through a lot of the same challenges that you and I are experiencing. The alignment of our culture in this time is so much syncs with what was happening in Jesus' generation. It's almost scary. So join me in Luke chapter 3. For those of you here in the house, it's on page 1015 of the Blue Bibles. For those of you who are online, I think this morning about 90% of our church family is uh, online. So wherever you are, snuggled in your bed, in your pajamas, or at the dining table, or wherever you might be, queue up your device or in your Bible. Let's turn to Luke chapter 3, and we'll join together in verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, a tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, and during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, woo, word, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, out in the wilderness. Well, Luke is precise. 
in helping to uh, build the context for this episode in the ministry of John the Baptist. He helps us to understand the political landscape. He goes from global to local, Tiberius, Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, geographically to help us understand what was happening in the world that they knew, the empire, down to Judea, to Galilee, to, to Iturea, to Trachonitis, to Abilene, and then out to the wilderness. The religious landscape, Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. <clears throat> and Luke's really doing two things, because remember, Scripture never wastes words. And Luke is building toward two things. First of all, he's being precise. I think sometimes we can read Scripture and we can wonder, is, it, is this like ancient mythology? You know, are these legends or, or are these stories the church came up with to try to encourage us? But when we look page after page of Scripture, there is pinpoint historic accuracy. Luke is going to pains to make sure we know exactly when and where and who this happened with. And he's writing in the same generation of people who were there. This is really kind of like an ancient historiography footnote. In case you wonder about this, this is exactly when and where it happened and who was there. Check it out yourself. Scripture is so incredibly accurate, painstakingly accurate. But Luke is also giving us clues to understand what was happening in the generation and what they were experiencing. Because John's generation, so much like our generation, was searching for hope because they lived in the midst of political polarization. There were some people who supported the empire. Hey, the empire is the best thing that could have ever happened to us because they were benefiting from the empire. That was 2 or 3% of the people. The other 97%, they wanted to overthrow the government. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Especially this week when we when we reflected after the January 6th insurrection last year. John's generation, thus Jesus' generation, was in the midst of religious challenges because Annas and Caiaphas and most of the religious leaders were no longer trusted. There was great religious polarization, great kind of religious angst toward the leaders, and there was distrust of a lot of the religious leaders, which sounds familiar in our culture, doesn't it? There was financial anxiety. There were those few people who were benefiting from the new economy of the empire. And then there was a majority who were paying exorbitant taxes. And because of that, they were living on the edge of poverty. It's one of the themes in our culture and in our world, isn't it? The, the inequity. And then people feared the future. And they were wise to have concerns about the future because in one generation, the generation after them, in the year 70 A.D., the empire would finally grow weary of Israel and they would obliterate Jerusalem. <clears throat> the Hebrew people would be scattered among the nations for 2,000 years until 1948 when Israel became a nation again. This is their context. They're searching for hope. They're worried. They're anxious. They're wondering. Just like so many people in our culture. And so now we're uh, introduced to John verse three, went into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways 
will become smooth. Now, here, here's a challenging question. Why did John head for the hills? Why did John go out in the wilderness? I mean, let's think about it. John could have been a rabbi of a prominent synagogue. He could have served as a priest in the temple. He had a tremendous spiritual pedigree. He was the son of a prominent priest who served in the temple. His mom was also from a priestly family. In other words, he was the son of a power couple in the religious landscape of his generation. His birth was a miracle no one could deny. His mother was elderly when he was born, so people could obviously... Something's going on with John. God's doing something in his life. And yet, he heads for the hills. He goes out to the wilderness. I think Luke is giving us clues to a couple of things. First of all, God meets people in the wilderness of our lives. I don't know what your wildernesses have been. I don't know what they are today. And I don't know what they might be in 2022 and beyond. And those are the times where it feels counterintuitive because those are the times when it's so easy for us to feel like, God, have you abandoned me? God, did you check out? God, where are you? God, how could you be allowing this to happen in my life, in the life of this person I love, with my neighbors or in our world? And it's okay for us to cry out with those things. The psalmist constantly did. But we need to remember that God meets us in the midst of our wildernesses and sometimes surprises us in the wilderness, ministers to us, shapes us, can bring healing to us, and prepares us for the future. John is giving a sign. You know, God is meeting people even in the wilderness of the real world. The second thing, the second message in the wilderness is it's preparing for the arrival of a king. Matter of fact, we read here as quoted from Isaiah chapter 40 that there will be paths that will be repaired in the wilderness that paths will be made straight, that valleys will be filled in and raised, that mountain passes will be lowered, that rough surfaces will be made smooth. Well, I've traveled the road that is east of Jerusalem down into the Jordan River and then across the valley and up into the mountains. And it's, it's still today to travel on a modern highway. It's a really, um, it's a road filled, filled with tremendous terrain and turns and mountain passes and valleys. But let's remember this. In the ancient world, it was incredibly winding up and down, dirt, uh, military checkpoints. But if a king was coming to your area, then all the engineers, all the road crews went out and, and every valley was raised up. The road was straightened. The rough places were smoothed out. You did everything you could to prepare for the arrival of the king. And that's the portrait. It's saying, hey, the king is coming. And prepare yourself for the king. So a challenge for us is, what's the king that's on the throne of our hearts? Are we preparing constantly? Are we preparing a highway in our heart? Right? Are, are, are we smoothing out a pathway from the openness of our minds to be receptive to Messiah Jesus, to be receptive to how God's Spirit moves in our lives so that Jesus might be the King on the throne of our lives? Not that we'll just say that or sing that, but actually there'll be a highway into our hearts that'll be smooth, that'll be opened, fertile soil of our hearts, our minds, our lives 
for the Messiah. Oh, but now John has a challenging message. John talks smack to his generation and through that to you and me today. Move to verse 7. <clears throat> you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't even begin to say, we have Abraham as our father. No, I tell you that even out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham because the axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Just imagine if you would have arrived to worship today or you tune in online and, and I welcome you brood of vipers. Hey, so glad you're here, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to come to worship today? Wow, that's challenging, isn't it? But here's what's amazing. The crowds kept fleeing. The crowds kept hiking on the trails kept passing dangerous military checkpoint to do whatever. They're searching. They're hungry. They'll do whatever it takes, searching for hope in their lives. But really, John's message speaks to kind of two different crowds of people. This is really all of us, because all of us find ourselves in these two extremes. To those who think they're good and those who think they're too bad for God. First of all, for those who think that they're good. In other words, hey, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, we're doing fine with our religion. Isn't it easy for us to maybe think, you know, I was, I was born into a, I was born into faith. No one's born into faith. Everyone makes a decision rather than they're going to follow Jesus. Or, you know, I, I grew up in this Christian family, so I just kind of mimic what they do. Or I show up at church, or I tune in online to church. I even give a little bit of money. You should give more money, but, but you know, I even give a little bit of money. And, and somehow thinking that that just little bit of behavior modification is what it means to be a Christ follower. And what John's saying is, no, no, all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our background, where we've come from, whatever dose of religiosity we, we think is fine, everyone's called to repent. So Jesus, I need you. We take my sins, we, we nail them to the cross. Jesus, I, I'm hungry. I need you in my life to forgive my sins and to guide me into the future, to have deeper peace in my life, to, to have a sense of purpose to serving you in this fractured world. But then there'll be others who, who think, no, I'm, I'm too bad for God. I mean, you don't know what I've done. And to this, John the Baptist, inspired by God's Spirit, says, if you think you're too bad for God, God could take these dead stones and bring them to life and have them become children of God. God can take what is stone dead and make it spiritually alive. God can take the hardest of hearts and soften it to become a child of God. I don't know what your background is, where you come from, or what, or what maybe sin or guilt or brokenness might be chasing you here. But God can bring life even out of death, healing out of brokenness, peace out of guilt, hope out of despair. Well, how? How does this happen? Well, John's primary message is repent. And repentance is kind of a churchy word, but here's what it really means. It just means to take a U-turn. It means to say, God, the appetites of my heart were here. I confess it to you. God, will you help the appetites of my heart to change? to be more toward the love and the peace and the justice that you long for. God, the way I've been interacting with people, I, I repent. I'm making a U-turn. God, help me to change my heart toward people in the way that I act toward 
people. God, the people that I've been wounding, oh God, I, I repent. Help me to take a U-turn. God, I repent. But here's a challenge for us. How do we know if repentance is genuine? I, I, I've had times, especially years ago, where I would find myself confessing to God. I confess, confess, and I start to move on, and it's like God's Spirit put up a stop sign and said, Greg, wait a minute. You confess, but do you really repent? Greg, you know you're just planning to go out and do that again. Do you really repent? Are you really asking God to give you new hunger and empower you to really change? And so, what does that look like? How do we know? Well, According to John, inspired by God's Spirit, when there's fruit of repentance. You see, fruit doesn't make something alive, right? right? When you see fruit on a tree, we don't say, that fruit is what's making the tree alive. What does fruit do? Fruit is a sign that a tree is alive. It's the evidence of whether something is alive is there's fruit. I remember several years ago, we had a beautiful maple tree in our front yard. And then one spring season, probably only maybe 60% of the leaves grew on, on, on that tree. Maybe 20, 30% of them were kind of yellow. And I realized this tree is struggling. So our neighbor is a horticulturalist. And so I said, Phil, you know, could you take a look at the tree? And he looked at it and he showed me three or four different signs to say, this tree's fighting for its life. You'll know next spring whether the tree's dead or whether it's made it. And the next spring, no leaves. So what did we do? Well, we had to cut the tree down. And now we have, what, a 9, 10, 11-year-old maple that's growing, and it's beautiful. See, <clears throat> when we looked at those leaves, it wasn't the leaves that were giving it life. They were signs that the tree was dying. And so one of the signs that we can look at of rather our faith is real is ask, what's the fruit of my life? Because there's a huge disconnect. We're called to repent so that we might begin to bear fruit, not that somehow impresses God, and God says, wow, boy, you got religion, you're impressing me. How, how can we impress a perfect, pure, holy, perfect God? No, instead, the fruit is a sign of if there's real spiritual life, if there's genuine repentance, if there's genuine hunger for God within us. Rather, there's the fruit of the Spirit and the trajectory of growth in our lives. Well, how does this change happen? John says it's all about what's happening at the roots, beneath the surface, that determines whether we're alive or rather we're dead people walking but who are acting spiritual. What's happening at our roots? What's happening in the sanctuary of our hearts? The appetites of our wills? What's showing in the theater of our thoughts? Fruit will eventually, we can only fool people for so long and we can't fool God. Eventually that either becomes death or it begins to show the fruit of genuine repentance. <clears throat> well, what are examples of this? How do we live this out in real life? It's as if we ask God, could you give us a few examples? So Luke gives us a few examples. Move down to verse 10. What should we do then? The crowds asked. And John answered, well, anyone with two shirts should... Share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. And then even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than, you, than, than you're required to. 
And then some soldiers asked him, well, what should we do? And he replied, well, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is a preacher's dream. After preaching, people say, oh, I'm moved with it. What should I do to live this out? That's what brings glory to God and joy to the heart of God. Oh, what, what do I, how do I live this out? And so <clears throat> Luke chooses three examples. Who, who, who knows how many different uh, people in the crowd ask questions? But Luke gives us a few examples. And do you notice none of them are from, from the religious people? It's none of the priests. It's none of the rabbis. It, it's none of the spiritual people, of the religious people. Because most of them felt like, I don't need to go out in the wilderness. I'm fine acting religious. But who's there? The tax collectors, sinners, and soldiers. Those are the three categories that Luke chooses. The tax collectors were the socially repugnant people. The sinners were the spiritually marginalized people. The soldiers were the politically hated people in the way the culture viewed them. But they're hungry for God. They're searching. And God's Spirit works in the heart of searching, hungry people. You know, I, I think some people who look the most religious can be some of the people farthest away from God. And some people who look the most desperate can be people who are so close to God because there's a hungry heart. For God. So there's kind of practical examples of fruit at work, meaning if there's genuine repentance. One, one sign is when we're at work, are we working toward honest ethics and following Christ at work, no matter what the ethics of the people around us might be? Second example that he gives here is that financially, don't be greedy. Don't take more than we should. Isn't that challenging in our world filled with inequity and poverty and suffering? A third example was about power. He says, don't abuse power. Whether it's in a dating relationship or in our marriage or in our children. Children can become such idols where we have this perfect home so that everyone says, oh man, aren't they awesome people when we're actually maybe even damaging our spouse and our kids to be perfect for us, right? Or maybe we have power over people as professors or our employees or whatever it might be or power over others because of the structure of our society and the message is don't abuse that that's one signpost of rather our faith is genuine and john leaves us with a real challenge but encouragement in verse 17 he says his winnowing fork is in hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the weed into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire and with many other words, John extorted the people and proclaimed the good news. Winnowing and threshing. Something that might not be real familiar to us. I grew up in your city, suburbs, and I had to learn a lot of this stuff. But you know, the people who are listening, it was an agrarian culture. They knew exactly what John was talking about. That God is like winnowing and threshing. Winnowing or threshing. You, you would take the winnowing fork. And, and you would shake it, and, and the kernels would fall to the threshing floor, and the chaff would blow away. And that's the portrait. You know, God's Spirit is threshing our hearts, our minds, our lives. And, and the kernels, the things of God, 
they fall deep into our hearts and into our minds, shape our will, and become our actions. But we need to be aware of the chaff. And those chaff might be depraved, ugly, sinful things, or they might be things that look good, but they become idols to us. Instead of things that we just enjoy, they shape our identity, and because of that, they shape us and we chase after those things. What might be the chaff? You know, so often spiritually, we're all about add-on. Man, just pray a little more, read the Bible a little bit more, serve a little more, give, wear yourself out a little more for Jesus, right? And, and sometimes that's what we need to do. I think sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is not addition, but it's subtraction. It's slow down and say, God, what's, what's the chaff in my mind, in my heart, in my motives, in the way that I'm living? God, by your spirit, would you convict me of that? And would you give me the courage to address that and repent and begin to change of those things in my life? And because of that, it's good news. I mean, it's, it's almost comical in verse 18. Oh, and with many other words for these brood of vipers, for these snakes, for the axe that, you know, and burning in the chaff. Oh, John preached good news. But it is good news. And here's why. Because even though we may feel like a brood of vipers, even though we may be struggling with our past or some things that are happening in our lives, we know that when God's Spirit, when we open ourselves for God's Spirit to thresh those things and show us God's truth, bring us to repentance so the chaff can be nailed to the cross and we can be set free to be God's forgiven, beloved, called kids, that through that, when our sins are hoisted on Christ on the cross, that is good news. It's a challenging pathway often, but it comes to good news. But no pain, no gain. What is there in life that isn't challenging, that's worth? What ends up being the rewards or the beauty of? So we, we really don't know what 2022 is going to bring. I wish I could tell you, you know, economy is going to boost, inflation is going to de- decrease, you're, you're going to have health, we're going to have a peaceful political season, there's going to be no wars. I wish I could say that, but I have no idea. Matter of fact, right now, long-term planning is about Thursday, right? I mean, the world is changing so quickly, right? Pivot was our big word the last couple of years. And so because of that, we need to be preparing for whatever comes. Think about those moment, those trajectory-changing moments of our lives. Think about, you know, when I was a kid, I played baseball in high school and college. It's what helped me to get through college without debt. Whew. And so I had this dream of like, even though I was a pitcher, but bottom of the ninth, World Series, we're down by one, runner on second. And then ah, the crowd goes wild. And I'd, okay. But what we forget is when you come down to that moment in, in sports, it's not really as much about that moment. There's been a lifetime of every day in the winter taking your 150 cuts in the cage and fielding ground balls and being in the weight room preparing for that moment. It's the same when there's a student, a musician with their recital or a concert. It's really not so much about that that moment. It's the months and years of all of the preparation that makes that moment come alive. It's the same for a student with Exam students, I'm so sorry to mention, but exams will be coming. And, and when they come, it's not so much, you know people who, who, who pray, Lord, I, 
I haven't studied at all, but would you bless me in this exam? No, says God, because it's about the preparation, right? And the same is true for our faith. Let's not wait till those moments and then, oh, I wonder how, let's be preparing by having a highway into our hearts. God, I humble myself. Will you teach me that we open our minds for God's truth to shape our worldview? And when those moments come, that God would strengthen us by his spirit to follow Jesus. And when we struggle, we'll repent. And God will walk alongside us. May we be prepared for this new year. And our life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast.